Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Quality people, welcome back to episode number 58 of the Healthcare Quality Cast, powered by the Quality Coaching Company. I am your host, Jarvis Gray, and I am excited to bring you yet another fun and engaging episode with our guest, Dr. Philip Atoyebe. Philip serves as the Quality Improvement Manager at Southern Regional Medical Center here in Atlanta, Georgia. Philip is a father, a husband, a physician, and most notable for today's show is an exceptional healthcare quality professional. Philip trained and practiced as a primary care physician and public health advocate in Nigeria. He obtained a master's in public health at Westchester University in Pennsylvania and transitioned to a career in healthcare quality back around 2015. In addition to his MD and MPH, he is a certified professional in healthcare quality, certified joint commission professional, and a Lean Six Sigma Greenbelt. His values as a quality professional are simple. Philip is focused on ensuring every patient experiences the best possible care in the safest environment possible. Here in episode number 58, Philip starts our show with a great quote reminding us that improvement is a journey and not a destination. Philip walks us through his career path in transitioning from serving as a physician based in Nigeria and into a healthcare quality improvement leader based here in the U.S. and breaks down the professional development process that supports his journey. He shares a great dark moment story connected with his first role as a team leader and how that gap allowed him to identify areas of continued personal improvement. Philip provides tips on how he drives deeper engagement with his project teams and additional pointers on how he manages team members who may not be fully engaged within the project team. He shares with us his career aha moment, teaching us that timing is everything. Philip highlights some of the changes in healthcare that he's personally excited about and also gives a comparison of dynamics between U.S. and Nigerian healthcare programs. Philip sends a call to action to break down barriers between healthcare and non-healthcare sectors, especially around quality improvement principles and applications. Philip coaches us up around patient safety huddles and reminds us to huddle on our huddles. And his career advice for us to find our purpose and to keep that purpose aligned with all our efforts. Philip, thank you again so much, my friend, for saying yes to joining our show and more so for bringing your knowledge, your incredible background, and a ton of value to our audience of quality people and healthcare leaders alike. I am personally inspired by your focused leadership, passion for improvement, and am honored to share this journey for improving the healthcare industry with you. Quality people, I hope that you enjoy this episode with Dr. Atoyebi and find him every bit as inspiring as I do. Also, to share one last bit of feedback and thanks, I posted in our LinkedIn group last week highlighting an article by Frontlines Media on the 90-plus healthcare podcast you should be listening to. This is a very solid list of industry-relevant shows, and admittedly, I was happy but not surprised at all to see the healthcare quality cast on this list. And not to sound cocky at all, but I truly believe that we are bringing great content that is very relevant to today's U.S. and international healthcare scenes, and each of our guests have been so, so, so incredibly impressive. 
I sincerely appreciate the buzz that you all are giving to our show and only ask that you, one, continue to share with your colleagues, and two, continue sharing feedback directly with me on future topics and guests to bring on. Please do reach out to me anytime through LinkedIn. Now, with no further delay, I give you Dr. Philip Atoyabi, and I'll see you next week when we return with yet another quality guest. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast, and today I'm here with a very special guest, Dr. Philip Atoyabi. Philip, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am. Good morning, and thank you for having me on your show, Jarvis. It's a great opportunity. No, no, sir. Thank you for saying yes. Um, it's been um, just a real pleasure in our first couple of conversations since we connected a few weeks back. And so, um, Philip, thank you for saying yes. And uh, uh, we always love to start the show, Philip, with um, just some positive affirmations to really get some good vibes and good momentum going. So uh, I would love if you could please share your favorite leadership quote or mindset with our quality people. But also, share with us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Thank you, Jarvis. Uh, for me, it's going, um, I'm going to go by a quote that I actually got while um, listening to a webinar by um, the AHRQ, that's Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. And that quote goes by, it says, improvement is a journey, not a destination. And it resonated very much with me because it not only aligns with um, the job I do on a day-to-day basis, which is quality improvement, but also with just life in general. Like to me, I see life in general as a journey of continuous improvement and not just a one-stop destination. So that code resonates with me on a daily basis. I sign off my emails with that code and um, I'll, be, I'll, tell you, I'll be the code of the day that I'll drop. No, I, I love it and I appreciate it. And, you know, the um, the fact that you quoted something from AHRQ, you know, they put out so much good information and so many good quotes and so much, you know, phenomenal research with the world we live in. Um, I'm surprised that's the only one. I, I imagine you probably got like a list of potential quotables from them. I do work with a lot, but yes, they are a very go-to resource of mine. All right. Well, Philip, thank you for that. And I'm going to move you into our next question because, you know, I I jokingly um, have shared with a few other guests that are incredibly credentialed. And, you know, myself, I'm a pretty solid credentialed healthcare professional, but, you know, there's not a lot of people that can um, keep up with all the the credentials and the, the, you know, awards and just progress I've made in my career. And then, Philip, I met you, my friend. So, I would love for you to please share with our quality people, um, first, you know, your current role, um, what led you into this career path, but definitely talk us through your credentials and um, some of the um, journey and development and professional, you know, development and skills you've um, attained through your path, and, and just teach us more about you. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing that story and having you share with our, our audience. Thank you. Uh, I think my story is pretty, uh, I think it's interesting for me uh, because getting into this uh, role I am right now was, um, I would say, not totally a work of my design. So I started off my career um, as a physician. I trained back in Nigeria um, as a family practitioner. And um, I worked in Nigeria for a few years. Uh, My focus was primarily in the rural areas. 
as a community uh, physician. And then I kind of picked up some interest in uh, population health, um, community needs assessment, did a little work with the state in providing free healthcare. And I kind of got interested and um, transitioned to the US, did a master's in public health. And um, my desire was still to go into clinical practice. However, my journey didn't quite work out the way I planned. And um, I got into a crossroad where it was more like I couldn't quite get back into clinical practice in the US. So it was either going back to keep practicing in Nigeria. However, I met with, um, with another physician that was foreign trained and um, I kind of shared my dilemma with him. And, and he asked me, you know, what was my driving purpose? And I kind of shared with him and he said, you know, I told him I want to save lives. I'm all about saving lives, providing, um, you know, the best care in the safest environment. And he said, have I considered quality, providing quality? He said, you know, it's a little bit not so much as hands-on with day-to-day -day clinical care, patient care. However, I have the ability to impact even on a greater scale the purpose which I always have in mind, which is saving lives. And, and you know, I kind of stepped into the role with a little trepidation, but then when I started actively engaging with quality, engaging in the acute care setting, I was like, wait, wait a minute. I'm looking at data. I'm looking at processes, policies we're implementing. Then I begin to look at, say, infection rates. And um, current organization, we went um, about 44,000 patient days without a C. diff infection. And I'm like, you know what? You can be a great clinician. However, as well, being in quality, you are able to make great impact as well. And so that began my journey in quality. And then to better prepare myself, I said, you know what? To be a physician, I had to go to medical school, get all these credentials. What credentials are out there to make me excel in my role as a quality professional? And I got exposed to the NAHQ and went ahead and got a certification as a professional healthcare quality professional. And my role also involves accreditation and regulatory compliance. With, um, we use the Joint Commission here and meeting CMS standards. So I also felt, you know, what do I need to show proficiency as a regulatory professional as well? And, um, you know, talking with the Joint Commission, they made me understand they had um, the CJCP, which is Certified Joint Commission Professional. So I went ahead and got that certification. And while working with the State Hospital Association, they also said, you know, if you, I invited them to my hospital to see our processes, and they had an opportunity to train, um, you know, quality professionals in Lean Six Sigma, and I pretty much bought into that opportunity and got as well as certification as a Lean Six Sigma Green Belt. So it was, my journey has been all about trying to achieve my desire and show proficiency along the way. Right. Well, and Philip, again, I appreciate you highlighting um, just an incredible journey. I mean, again, you started your, you know, the, your story starts in Nigeria, and now you are here in the States working with, um, you know, a, a phenomenal healthcare organization that has facilities all over the country. Um, I, I've shared it with you. I mean, I do believe physician leadership is going to be at just needed at the forefront of so many things we do with quality, regulatory, and some of the things that you've um, you've already started attaining and and you know becoming more and more proficient on with your career path. Um, 
I'm curious maybe to ask this. So with your background from, um, you know, being a doctor, moving into quality, um, you have, like you already mentioned, your connections with medical research and AHRQ and even the, the connections into Lean Six Sigma, Joint Commission and Regulatory. What's, what are some of the things you're seeing maybe that connect pretty well, but, you know, just personal preference. Do you prefer any one area of any of those, you know, incredible just variety of quality and healthcare improvement? Um, anything sticks out more than the next that you, you know, if you just could only focus on one thing, like I'm going all in with this one focus for a while. Hmm. That is, that is, that's a pretty good, interesting question. And I ask myself that every day, you know, um, I kind of spread a little bit in a few areas, and to me, I would say, you know, all I, my focus on a daily basis is what do I do to improve outcome for my patients, the patients that come to our hospital, the patients that get seen in our facilities, what can I hone in to improve their experience and their outcome, and to me, that would really boil down to a little niche in patient safety, which is um, infection control and infection prevention, which is, I think, still an area where I see uh, great improvement has been done on a global scale, but we still have opportunities. And so for me, it's that quality piece as it ties to infection control and just making sure that zero harm is done to patients when they come to our doors or when they come to our facilities. I think to me that's still that's still the heart of the heart for me. I really love and respect your reply for that. You know, that that still ongoing focus around um patient safety and infection control. Um for me, I, I come into healthcare with a engineering background. And so I've had to learn so many of the um, medical pieces throughout my career path in, in healthcare. Um, but I came in with a very strong technical piece. So for me, I, I guess my similar response to that same question would still be around the data. Um, I think there's still so many um, advancements we need to make with having, um, you know, accurate, reliable data that's timely across so many healthcare organizations. So um, that would kind of be if I had to like double down in one particular area for a while, it, it would be data for me. So awesome, awesome. But perfect. Um, Philip, I, I'm going to move you to our next question. And um, I, I've been calling this the dark place question. I, I may officially change up the formal script at some point, but would love for you to share with us, um, you know, throughout your entire journey, um, specifically as a quality professional, because I can only imagine some of the things you may have seen as, um, as a physician leader in healthcare, but would love for you to share with us perhaps one of your, um, you know, worst moments as a quality professional. Share with us, you know, what that moment was, but definitely share with us some of the decisions you were going through and the considerations you were trying to make to turn that, that moment around. Thank you. Um, when you talk about worst moment, I would just say, uh, for me, what resonates with that question is, to me, is uh, one of the moments where I would say I was more or less unprepared for the task I was handed. And I would say in my journey, that would be in the earlier phase of my journey when I was 
appointed as a team lead of a multidisciplinary team. And um, I was very much a clinician, but I wasn't equipped with um, the tools needed to to lead a team, so to speak. So I came into the role with a lot of passion, a lot of drive. I had several other clinical disciplines on the role, on the team, and I just went head straight about, this is what we want to achieve, how do we get there, and assign roles, you do A, B, C, and let's get back together. And it was it was it was a, a frustrating process for me to say the least, because I did not have the tool to assess the dynamic of the team I was working with to see what the strengths and weaknesses were to set up a, a pad with timelines with set goals, and um, all the tools I'm equipped with now in terms of leading a team, working on projects. I wasn't equipped with that at the beginning. And to me, just going through that whole frustration and not quite getting the desired outcome made me take a step back in my professional career and say, you know, aside to skills, you know, when it comes to leading, there's still need, I still need some more education. I still need some more training. And that kind of got me through going through training like the master team steps process and getting some more training around team building, team and leadership training. So to me, I would say that was probably my worst moment, but it was also very much of a teachable moment for me as well. Well, you know, one of the, um, one of the things I, I think quality people do better than most and, and something I've, I've learned from so many of the previous guests on this show, Philip, is that um, we probably reflect more than like the normal person, um, especially when we have those worst moments like you were just sharing. Um, I, I won't take you through too much of that worst moment, Philip, but what I would love to ask is, um, again, just knowing um, your current um, status with the different ways that you've you know, worked to train and develop as a professional and even connecting it with that story there, um, do you have a formal process for your professional development? And, you know, to kind of give a little background on that. So for me personally, I, I um, set up my personal development year from my birthday all the way around throughout the year. And I come up with two or three goals that I'll move forward with, whether it's certifications or joining different associations or networking opportunities. But um, that's a very formal process I've been doing for about maybe 13, 14 years now, at least. Um, do you have a, a formal process that you utilize just to like you said in your story, you know, I realize the opportunity for more improvement or, and you've continuously developed throughout your career path, but has it just been by chance or, or are you really intentional about it? Thank you for that question. Um, I, am, I would say I'm intentional about it, but I've not necessarily thought about it as a formal process. However, um, what I do or what I've done and continues to do is I look at industry leaders. So um, once I chose the part of you know going through and becoming a quality professional, I took a minute to say, okay, um, what what leaders have walked the path I'm trying to walk in? You know, switching or more like combining clinical practice and quality. Um, and the quality profession. And then I, I look them up and I see, okay, what, 
what trajectory did that journey take and how did it go? And that's what I did. And I realized, okay, you know, I look at a few of these leaders and thankful we have LinkedIn as a resource out there you can, that you can pretty much look up, you know, industry leaders, pioneers, see how they got to where they are currently. And I was able to track and see, okay, this is the part they took, um, you know, in terms of uh, education, formal education in terms of um, certifications, in terms of training, and also how their career kind of aligned. And then I try and look at how to how to shape my career along those lines. So that's how I realized, okay, I'll need, you know, training in leadership. I'll need some training in the quality line. And then I'm still looking forward. I have, in my focus, I'm having um, the FACHE down the line and already researching that, okay, you need to be leadership for at least a given number of years and then you get sponsors to be able to get you to take that um, certification and to get into that fellowship. And also asking questions, you know, from industry leaders that, okay, I'm here now, I want to get there, what is your advice? And so for me, I do that as a process at the beginning of, not really, it's a continuous process for me. I don't really tie to any particular time of the year, but I do it as a continuous process that, okay, after achieving step one, what are the steps do I need to take to get to my goal? All right, wonderful. I, I really love that reply there. So that's, um, that's a really good way for figuring out your path. I, I love just the mindset of looking at others and, and trying to, um, I guess in a sense, kind of reverse engineer, you know, their success and figure out how to fill the gaps with where you're going. So um, awesome, awesome answer. Um, Philip, let me, let me go ahead and pull us up out the dark place a little bit for you, sir, but uh, would love for you to now share with our quality people one tip, tool, or tactic that you found works really well for building those intimate connections um, within the project teams that you work with, but share with us uh, what it is and how do you apply it? Um, so for me, when it comes to building teams and building that intimate relationship, I have found kind of like a hybrid of a lot of um, things put out there in literature. And for me, I just try to take it a step a little bit personal in the sense of, once I get a team together and we kind of do that ice-breaking activity or whatever it is, I try to connect with each of the team members or engage with them to just kind of see what's the driving force behind each team member. Because when you have a team put together, sometimes you may have people there on the team just due to their positional role. Others are voluntold to be part of a team and some others, and you have people that just want to be on everything. And then you have those that are really seeking to bring a change or drive a change. So I kind of engage sometimes very informally with individual team members to know what their driving force is because that allows me to know the level of engagement or commitment I'm going to get from each member on my team or on each member on the team. And that allows me to, when it comes to assigning roles or assigning tasks to not necessarily give it to whoever is, say, on paper best suited, however, to see how I can merge whoever is really committed to driving a change to us in assigning those tasks. So to me, I kind of have a more personal approach when it comes to team building and 
during that intimate relationship to kind of knowing what's the driving motivation for each member on this team and to what level of engagement are they willing to be engaged or committed to the task at hand yeah all right perfect well let me let me maybe turn that question around for you just a little bit then with um you know with the the focus that you just shared around you know team membership and team engagement uh what do you do or have you ever had um you know a not ideal team member on your team and, and what do you do in those cases how do you um you know manage a team member up or and or manage a team member out when they're not contributing in a positive way for any projects that you've worked on so um when it comes to managing team members that don't show the full commitment. To me, I'm always looking at, um, there are several ways to every, 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 several ways to skin is cut, so to speak. So to me, I'm always looking at, you know, if I have a team member that is not, you know, fully committed, the first question I ask myself is, you know, a lot of times is they may not see what is in, what's in, what is in it for them. So the first thing I ask myself is, you know, if I were in these team members' shoes, what can I see as the driving benefit for being on this team? What is in it for me? And I always find out that if you can show everyone what is in it for them and make it meaningful and make it yeah, meaningful for them, you would get some level of engagement, you know, in my role, in my position, working on teams, um, sometimes I don't get to make have the power to make the choice of managing people in or out of the team. And sometimes you have to work with some members on your team, like regardless, because of their position, which is needed. So and in that case, I just try to make a case for why their presence on that team is invaluable. And I think I always end up getting commitment from them. So that is worked for me so far. Maybe it will change in the future. <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome, awesome feedback there. Um, would love to learn from you now. Really pick up the 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 positive vibes with uh, the conversation is for you to share with us. Maybe one of your best aha moments that you've had as a um, quality improvement professional. But again, kind of walk us through the moment. What was going on? How did the idea hit you? And definitely, if you were able to turn it into a uh, personal or a professional success. Right. That's uh, it brings brings an interesting point in time to my mind. And um, it was um, one of the times I was with. Um, you know, my organization and I was trying to, I had just gotten out of my Lean Six Sigma training. I thought it was awesome. I did a presentation on it to the leadership team. And um, and a few months down the line, you know, the opportunity came for as many leaders as wanted to have a free Lean Sigma training, Lean Six Sigma training with um, the State Hospital Association. So. I was excited about it because I was just happy about all the tools I had gotten and how we could drive change and implement processes and you know lean out our processes. And um, I did the first mistake <laughs> that every rookie would do. I went out there and I'm like, hey guys, everyone, there's this free Lean Six Sigma Greenbelt training, three days, everyone sign up, let's get going. And that wasn't the right time in my organization at that time because we were in the window 
for a joint commission survey and we had a lot to quite catch up with and get done for, before joint commission walked through our doors. So I sent out this email blast and the executive team was like, Philip, hold on a minute. We can't have all leaders walk out the door for three days to do this training when we have a lot of house cleaning to do to get ready for joint commission. And um, it was an aha moment for me where I realized that um, as a quality professional, we, I need to engage the stakeholders, you know, to before any quality initiative can thrive and can succeed, there must be stakeholder engagement. You must get that C-suite sponsorship. And I think that was a good learning, um, learning opportunity for me moving forward that no matter how great an idea may seem or no matter how great an opportunity is, it's very crucial for stakeholders to be engaged and to get their support before rolling anything out. So what, what I hear there is also, um... Uh, uh, it sounds like you had a really good lesson around timing, right? <laughs> it's all about timing. Right, that. <laughs> uh, but you know, so I, I have to admit, you know, I, I always push back on leadership teams, uh, you know, whether I, I've supported teams that were both uh, Joint Commission and DNV. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the mindset is if we're always ready, we don't have to get ready, right? If we stay ready, right. we, we never have to get ready. So, you know, that's a, that's one of those those places in healthcare we have to get to is where we should feel 100% confident if our leadership teams aren't in the building, that if a regulatory group or, you know, some other official body comes through, that things are going to be all right. So. Absolutely agree with you on that. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting path. I, I've been in healthcare for about 13 years, and that's still the vibe today is, you know, okay, we're in our window. We have to be ready. I was like, no, guys, we have to be ready 365. So, all right. Sorry. I'll get off of that high horse now. Um, uh, Philip, I'm really um, interested in, in your response on this question. Again, with your um, just ridiculously impressive background, um, what are some of the changes going on across the healthcare industry right now that you are personally excited about? And what role do you see quality professionals playing to either promote it or support its longevity? Um, for me, I would say it's um, value-based care, and it's been around for a minute, and it continues to improve. Uh, I know they, I was just looking at the notification from the CMS, and they talked about the IPPS program moving from a non-weighted system, moving away from a non-weighted system. That way, you know, when you're talking about value-based care, you're talking about patient and person and community engagement with HCAPs that has the same weight as um, safety, the same weight as clinical care, and the same way as efficiency and cost reduction. And for me, I talk about value-based care because as much as we're pushing for value-based care, there's still a large element of fee-for-service in, um, you know, I'm in the acute care setting, there's still a big piece of fee-for-service from the hospital side of things and also from the providers part. And um, I currently do a lot of education on our physicians that, um, and I think where that leads is we still have a lot of providers that have not really keyed in into the quality piece. And um, and they would probably not, we have the low, you know, the late, the late adapters, adapters, and they would probably not totally key in until we totally eliminate that fee for service piece. 
Now I know that's hard depending on who you're speaking or talking to because some believe value-based care is still a hard notch to play because a large piece of it comes back from the patients, you know, in terms of their feedback on the care they receive. But for me, I think that's a great step forward that, you know, the quality world has taken. And I think there's still a lot of opportunity there where we can really maximize, you know, the care patients receive if we tie our reimbursement a lot towards the value as opposed to just the service rendered. So to me, I'm hoping to see a lot more of that from not just the hospital side of reimbursement, but also from the provider's piece when it comes to reimbursement. I appreciate that um, that answer there, Philip. And let me totally change directions on you now. I, I'm really, uh, again, just um, interested to uh, to pick your brain. I try to give you a heads up that I, I tend to go off script quite a bit with some of my interviews. But with um, with your background, again, coming from Nigeria, would you have any comparisons or or just that that additional insight to maybe contrast things with our U.S. Healthcare system, especially around value-based care and this this you know transition that we're all going through, um, but how would that align with any of the healthcare infrastructure or services or you know policies from um, from your home country? Just uh, I, I'd be curious to to maybe draw that contrast and comparison for any of our listeners um, who who are just interested to learn about you know healthcare in other countries. Right, sure. Um, that would be a pleasure of mine. Um, I would be honest and say um, in the U.S., the U.S. is playing a leading role, I would say pretty almost globally when it comes to value-based care in the sense that um, back in Nigeria, it's, I would say there is almost a zero value-based care. It's pretty much all fee-for-service kind of care. So um, we currently, I know the um, Healthcare Quality Association back in Nigeria is trying to model and bring in a lot of the U.S. type model of healthcare to the um, to the Nigerian healthcare system, but we still have a long way to go. And um, I think right now I would say, you know, the U.S. is still modeling the way when it comes to value-based care. And I would say, um, in this role here in the U.S., I see opportunities. But I'll say, you know, back in Nigeria, they still have a long way to go because um, value-based care brings the patient into focus. Fee-for-service puts the provider in the driving seat. And if we're, if we're saying we want to ensure zero harm is brought to the patient and we want to make the patient the focus, then we should be making the patient the focus in actuality. And that is when their voice matters and their value of the care they receive matters. So. I would say yes. The U.S. is still leading the way, you know, in that in that um, in that capacity of value-based care. And I say there's a whole lot of catching up, you know, um, sub-Saharan African countries have to make. All right, wonderful. No, thank you for that additional insight. Um, I, I've had the opportunity now to bring on a guest from uh, Mexico, and two guests from. Um, uh, Australia that at least as at the time of our conversation now I haven't posted the Australian conversations yet but um, that is a an additional um, element that I'm trying to really uh, really strategize more around is having 
additional kind of international feels around the show. So uh, slowly but surely, but I know I didn't prep you for that in any way, but I appreciate the additional insight with sharing some of the things from, uh, from home for you. You're welcome anytime. All right, perfect. Uh, next question I have for you, uh, Philip, is what are some things from your view of the world that the healthcare industry can do to become a more attractive um, place for ambitious, talented, uh, quality professionals? And, and I'd love to maybe even tag on to that question just a little bit again, going off script already, but um, what are some things that we can do to also pull more physicians into the quality um, mindset, at least the more technical pieces of quality, um, given your career path as well? Um, I would say, you know, attracting more ambitious, talented professionals, I would say, um, number one is breaking down stereotypes. You know, I look at, um, I engage with um, other colleagues that are outside of the medical field, and um, we engage, you know, you know, on a more informal level, but we look at, okay, I have friends in the finance field, I have friends in the IT world, and when we start talking about processes, I see how we could totally cross, trans, we could totally transfer those skills in the IT finance um, world into healthcare and pretty much drive the change we are seeking in healthcare at even a faster rate. However, I still see stereotypes where, you know, certain job roles, especially quality professional job roles, where they tie to um, a particular skill set and a particular educational background. And while that is great, I do believe that other skill sets could be players to that team, which may not necessarily fit the stereotype attached to the role. And they may bring, you know, a rapid cycle change to the process, bringing in those skill sets from other industries which are performing at, you know, a higher level actually than, you know, the, um, the healthcare field is actually performing. So to me, I think that would be a great idea. I know a lot of places are moving towards that, but I think we still have opportunities when it comes to that. And for physicians, I, I've been to some conferences and I've seen physicians, you know, asking for more training. Um, we don't have a lot of training when it comes to physician training, even here in the U.S. when it comes to quality when it comes to even team leadership or leadership at all. So I think incorporating that into the educational curriculum would be a good way to have physicians see, have a broader perspective about how they could influence quality as, a, you know, outside of a one-on-one -on -one interaction with patients, but even on a broader spectrum to influence, you know, communities and influence populations you know, how the practice and in what manner the practice. So to me, I would say those two things, breaking down stereotypes, um, broadening the curriculum of providers to incorporate quality and leadership. Well, Philip, I, I appreciate, you know, your first point about breaking down the stereotypes, because again, I, I'm, I am an engineer that came from outside of healthcare into healthcare. And I, you know, I didn't come in, I've not had the traditional healthcare path, to say the least. But um, you know, I, I just personally personally believe that that cross pollinization is um, really needed. Um, I, I love to share this with you. It's going to be very much kind of a last minute um, share, but I've had the chance um, in previous episodes to highlight that the Medical University of Charleston, South Carolina, does 
a conference every year and it's actually coming up this Friday. Um, it's called their, you know, it's their annual process improvement conference, but they actually intentionally advertise to non-healthcare groups to, to get that cross-pollinization. So um, I've had a chance to plug in with that conference for about three years now. And it's one of my favorite conferences to go to for, you know, out the year. Um, it's very affordable, but it's very, um, just a, a very different conference vibe, healthcare conference. So um, I, I would definitely say, you know, kind of keep that on your radar, um, you know, as it comes across every year. But, you know, that that's an example of a group that's saying, hey, we want to learn from everybody. That That's kind of the point I was going to with that. So, um, yeah, I just personally appreciate that mindset that you share with kind of getting rid of the stereotypes and, and you know, connecting with more groups. Right, right, right. Yeah, for, um, for your second point with, you know, providing more education to physicians, um, so I, I've seen elements of it, but um, I know there's a university down in um, Florida where I'm from that they actually have added in industrial industrial engineering courses into their medical practice programs. And so, you know, literally, you know, giving physician, you know, the, the new wave of physician leaders that they're training, um, you know, exposure to engineering and quality improvement uh, concepts. So I don't know if that's a big thing yet, but when I, I learned about that a few years ago, and I was really excited personally, because I am an industrial engineer, but um, to your to your second point, you know, it's a way to, to really engage the future, you know, leadership, uh, physician leadership at, at a very early part of their training too. So I, I think you're spot on, my friend. Thank you. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Philip, let me, uh, let me keep us moving, but I, I am going to take a quick breather and let you know that we're right there kind of at the halfway point, And I'm going to move us into a part of the show that we call our two minute drill, which is kind of our, our rapid fire Q and a, but Always love to check in with you. Make sure you're, you're good to go and ready to blast through these last few questions I have for you. All right, I'm ready. All right, wonderful. Well, first question I have for you, Philip, is um, uh, something of a two-parter, but I would love for you to tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, and then also share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? Thank you. Um, in my current role, not really tied to quality, but I was tasked um, a few months ago to facilitate a daily leadership huddle with um, all the leaders in the C-suite. And the goal of that huddle was to just improve communication between the leaders and to ensure that we highlight operational and patient safety issues on a daily basis. And to me, um, what inspired me to do my best was the leaders kept asking to have that meeting, that huddle run in the shortest time possible. So it's been a question of constantly tweaking those huddles to ensure that we get the optimum information passed in the shortest time possible. And the second piece to that part is what, in terms of what inspires me in the organization is the second task was not just getting that communication and debrief every morning done, but to also motivate the leaders to go out with great positive energy at the start of their day, which would infiltrate the whole organization because that meeting was the first meeting of the day. 
And to me, that was quite a tall task to act. So again, I went to what's out there. I try not to reinvent the wheel. And um, I plugged into a leadership group in on LinkedIn. And, you know, I kind of get a lot of quotes I use every day. So I get quotes from that leadership group on LinkedIn and look for posts that kind of work aligned with our mission, vision, purpose. And I make sure, you know, at the end of every huddle, I have a positive, encouraging, team building code for the day and rally the leaders to go out and make it their best day. And so that's it for me. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, Philip, let me, let me put you on the spot one more time, at, at least uh, for the next two minutes. But, um, you know, huddling is one of those, um, you know, techniques that is really has really taken off in the healthcare area over the last uh, two or three years, at least from my point of view. Um, I'm working with some groups now and we're rolling out huddle and some other some additional, you know, high reliability practices. But um, would you have any, you know, two or three best practices around huddles, anything that you and your teams are doing that just are really um, getting the the support and buy-in, you know, with your your staff and your leaders that um, that you guys are utilizing. Um, for me, I'll um, I'll say not really best practice. We tried a few um, templates out there, but I think what worked best for us was um, huddling about the huddle. Now, what that means is after doing a few dry runs, we came together and asked ourselves, you know, as leaders, what do you want presented at this meeting? What do you need? What focus, what, what do you want to focus to be? So I'll say huddling about the huddle took a little bit of time, but it allowed us to align, to customize the huddle to what information we felt was best and most timely needed. And that improved the efficiency of our huddle because we started out with a huddle that went up to 30 minutes down to a huddle of seven minutes. So it was all about not just bringing in a template, but customizing it around what best suited the organization and what best suited the leaders in that room as at that time. So to me, I would say, you know, the best practice for every huddle is, you know, huddle about your huddle and figure out how to best customize it to meet your needs. All right. Awesome. I'll add on to your thought there. I was just talking with a colleague yesterday, um, again, with the work we're doing. Um, he is also leading huddles for his team, and they actually did a number of simulations. So they they implemented these visual boards, and their teams are huddling around the visual visual boards, but they simulated it for about a week or two before even rolling it out full, you know, full steam. So I thought that was a pretty unique approach as well. But um, just it, it sounds very similar to your huddle, your huddle for the huddle um, process as well. Um, all right, perfect. I, I promise that will be my last off-script question, at least for one whole question series here. Um, back on script, Philip, I would love for you to share the best piece of career advice that you've ever received. Oh, wow. Yeah, this would tie into what I, um, what I, my answer earlier about, you know, how I transitioned to the role I'm currently in from, you know, being a clinician to being a healthcare quality professional. And during that moment, I think I got the best career advice, so to speak, because when I was in that dilemma about do I continue as a 
you know, I'm unable to continue as a clinical provider here in the U.S. Do I go back to Nigeria? Do I transition into the quality professional role? And the advice I got from actually a colleague of mine was, find your purpose. What's your purpose? And his advice was, you know, if you know what your purpose is, then the route or whatever route you take into that purpose shouldn't be or shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be the purpose. And, you know, once I realigned myself back to my purpose, which was saving lives, I was not so much bothered with the vehicle that gets me to that purpose, but more about fulfilling that purpose. So to me, the career advice is, you know, find your purpose and um, keep yourself aligned to that purpose. All right. I love it. Find your purpose and keep yourself aligned to the purpose, man. That, that's wonderful advice. Um, hope that resonates really well with our audience there. Um, Philip, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I'll trade jobs with the one job, which I think it's one of the jobs that are not so much highlighted, but I think they play a significant role, which is the environmental services. I, I like to interact with them a lot. I go to their staff meetings and, you know, try to tell them how great a job they're doing and how they align to the whole healthcare team as a key player. And um, to me, that would, be, that would be them. I think it's a job that I don't know if I can do it as great as they do it. And I would like to, if I'm to give myself a challenge, it would be to be in that role and see how I, how I adapt. <laughs> oh man, Philip, I, I love you so much for that for that answer, man. Because I mean, you literally just called out, you know, a group within our our organizations that are probably the most under you know represented, under respected, in all fairness, and they are, like you said, probably among the most critical. And so right. I, I, I really appreciate that answer, man. I, I've had a chance to do a number of projects with environmental services. And I mean, I, I've worked all shifts with environmental service teams. Man, they, they work their butts off. And if they mess up, people in our hospitals aren't going to have great outcomes. So it's oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting, man. I, I love that answer. Thank you. I, I just, I think they do a phenomenal, phenomenal job. You would, you may not know if your CEO or COO or CNO is not in the hospital for a day, but you would know if the EVS team is not in the hospital for a day. <laughs> oh, perfect. Hey, that, 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 that might be like the official quote that I use for this show when we get it published, man. That, that's a one heck of a quote right there. You're, you're spot on. Um, Thank you. Perfect, man. No, I love that one. That was really good. Um, Next question I have for you, Philip, is um, could you share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives? Um, to me, it's, uh, the habit is more like just a personality trait, and which is tied very much into my culture, which is showing respect and kindness to all, regardless and at all times. And to me, it's um, like I said, it's very much my personality and also very ingrained in my culture you know, show respect, be kind. And to me, that, that has, to me, it, it, it has helped me in building trust and engagement and commitment with teams I lead or teams I'm part of. And to me, I, I think it's, it helps me in connecting with everyone pretty much. And so to me, that's not so much of a habit, but much of just who I am and which I intentionally keep trying to improve on 
which is showing respect and be kind. All right, wonderful. Well, the great, great habits and great uh, traits to live by. So I, I appreciate that as well. Um, Philip, do you have any go-to websites or mobile applications that you use for executing on the work that you lead? Um, yeah, and that would be back to my code, especially, you know, if you have any, and I tell, you know, new quality professionals, I engage with them or I have people reach out to me on LinkedIn and I tell them, you know, the AHRQ website is a great resource information out there. It gives you a lot of information about what quality measures are out there for different healthcare settings. And it not just gives you the information, they also have a lot of tools on there on how to you know, implement those measures, implement those activities, and they also have other links that link you out to other resources. So to me, the AHRQ website has been very, very educational and informative for me. All right, perfect. Well, and that, that almost kind of leads in perfectly with the next question I have for you, but um, could you share any um, professional societies or professional conferences that you also think would be a value add for our quality people to look into? Sure. I would say, you know, um, the National Association for Healthcare Quality, I think it's a great association. Very, um, I think they are the leaders right now in healthcare quality when it comes to laying down competencies for healthcare professionals. I was at the last um, NHQ Next conference, which is one I would recommend to um, any and all healthcare professionals out there because it was a great opportunity for me to not just learn, but to network and interact with other healthcare professionals and to sh sharpen and hone my skills and also acquire more knowledge. So I would say, you know, NAHQ out there and, you know, why not get the CPHQ alongside? Well, you know, we, uh, we were talking about it in our pre-show, but we have our first um, Georgia version of the NAHQ meeting tonight. So, um, <clears throat> any, you know, it'll be a few months before this episode plays. So hopefully by the time we get this posted into the podcast universe, um, our Georgia state level, um, association will be up and running full steam. But, um, Philip, I only just recently came across NAHQ and I am really geeking out on some of the things they're doing. So, um, I appreciate you kind of giving them a shout out because I, I, I've been in healthcare a number of years and never knew about them. And so now that I'm learning about them, I mean, again, just the, the ability to, to help get Georgia started or revamped with our association has been pretty cool. So I love that recommendation. You're welcome. Um, Philip, if you could recommend uh, one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? I, I would recommend we had um, a book that we had to do a book club on as <laughs> a leadership team. And the book is called, it's titled Leadership and Self-Deception. Leadership and Self-Deception. And it's authored by, um, I believe it's authored by the Abinger Institute. And the book really hones about getting out of the box. And I recommend the book because the book is tailored towards um, leadership and towards leadership and team building. But it, it draws a lot of example from personal relationships. And uh, a lot of people had comments, you know, after reading the book about how they were able to use concepts from the book to help in their marriage interactions with their interaction with their kids. So, but I found the book really, really great. It gets you, it kind of shapes your thinking about just getting out of that box mindset. So I would, I would recommend that book, Leadership and Self-Deception. 
right, leadership and self-deception. Never heard of that one, but I, I would personally look into that. That's interesting. Um, wonderful. Um, Philip, we are literally, man, we're, we're right there. We're right at our last question, but giving you the heads up that this is a personal favorite because I'm going to try to get you to reflect on your past and look forward to your future at the same time. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Uh, take a second to think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? All right, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough one. <laughs> you know, based on based off my journey so far, uh, <laughs> I would say the same thing to my 10 years younger self and my 10 year older self. And that would be, don't hinge your happiness on success and setbacks are not permanent. That would be what I'll tell myself. Don't hinge your happiness on success and setbacks are not permanent. All right. Interesting. It sounds like um it sounds like the the focus in both your messages to to your future and your past self was that it's a journey, right? Is is that kind of the takeaway that I, I hear in there? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, wonderful. Well, uh, Philip, again, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you um, just coming on and sharing so many of the great um, points that you shared today. Uh, I know we are going to continue to cross paths for um, hopefully for a while to come, you know, from our event tonight to just any future collaborations. But uh, I would love to end today with you um, giving our quality people a parting piece of advice and please do share the best way that they can um, connect or follow with you or follow you on social media and then we'll officially sign off. Oh, thank you so much, Jarvis, having me on your podcast. I'm just excited and I'm happy for the opportunity. And I'll say you can always um, reach out to me on LinkedIn or look me up on LinkedIn. I go by Philip Atoyebi, first and last name. And um, I'm on LinkedIn and I always look forward to networking. Um, and I'll say, you know, to all quality people out there, you know, it's a journey. Yes, the, um, the pressure keeps ramping up on quality to keep showing results. And, um, and I say it's a journey, it's a marathon, you know, and I say, you know, stay consistent and results will always show at the end of the day. All right, wonderful. Well, we can't, can't say it any better than that. So to my quality people everywhere, thank you for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Philip officially signing off. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.